0: excuse me so good to see everyone here today Uh, glad you made it out I was a little curious as this week went along what exactly we might find this morning but uh, turns out it was a nice easy day to get here we'll see if it's a nice easy day to get home but so far so good Uh, but uh, so glad to have you here uh, and a part of our service today now I was looking for Matt is Matt here? There's Matt. Now, is this the week your family came? Was okay. So this is the week I promised to speak, right? Okay, cuz there's a kind of a funny story here. You know, I speak most of the time, but I've been gone every time Matt's parents come to visit. So apparently I avoid them, and I don't, didn't know that. But so it was like back in November or something, I had to promise I was going to be here today. So I would actually be here on the day they were here. So that's, that's good. We worked it out. I have achieved my first major promise of the year. So that's good. All right. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your love, your grace, and Jesus for your words. Help us to appreciate those words and to truly apply them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a picture today. Who can tell me what that is? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's not enough to just call it the Tower of Pisa, is it? That's not why it's famous. It's famous because it's leaning. So the Leaning Tower of Pisa, or simply the Tower of Pisa, is a campanile, I learned that word from Alicia, Uh, or a freestanding bell tower, that's just a bell tower, uh that's part of the Pisa Cathedral, and it's known for its four-degree lean, which was the result of an unstable foundation. Now I have another picture here, the second picture here. This is the entire complex. That's the Pisa Cathedral complex. And if you look at that, you're like, well, wow, that tower is kind of the least cool thing there, except it's famous. The rest of it's not all that famous, but it's famous because it's not right. The tower is one of three structures in Pisa's Cathedral Square, which includes the cathedral and the Pisa baptistry. I don't know what's in there, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that's kind of a cool thing there in the back. That's the baptistry. That might be kind of cool to get baptized in a place like that. Maybe we should build one of those out here. I kind of like that. Anyway, so the height of the tower is 183 feet 3 inches on the low side and hundred and eighty-five feet eleven inches on the high side now why hasn't it already collapsed? well the width of the walls at the base they're eight feet wide so it's an incredibly solid tower that estimated to weigh about 16,000 tons and it actually this is kind of a, a weird thing about the construction It has 296 steps on one side and 294 steps on the other. I shouldn't have anything to do with why it's tipped, but that's the truth about it. Uh, We have a third picture here. That kind of gives you a feel for how, yeah, didn't quite get it right. The tower began to lean during construction in the 12th century. So this is the 1100s when this thing was built due to soft ground which could not properly support the structure's weight. And it worsened through the completion of the construction in the 14th century. It took 200 years to build that wrong. So never give up, right? Or something. I'm not sure what the lesson is there. Um, By 1990 the tilt had worsened till it was about 5.5 degrees, and they were afraid it was about to collapse. So between 1993 and 2001, they did a bunch of work on it to get it back to about four uh, four degrees of slant. So they brought it back from 5.5 to 4. Now, they probably could have made it straight, But then who would go see it, right? Kind of funny how that works. Getting something wrong can make you famous. Or at least infamous. And sometimes you can come back later and make fixes to keep things standing as long as the lean doesn't get too bad. But in truth, I think we would all agree in general, it's better to build things right the first time. And in that context, maybe this this particular tower is not the best illustration for today because they actually became famous because they did it wrong. But I hope that in your life, you haven't become more famous for the things you did wrong than you are for the things you got right. I suppose if we had the band up here and they were all playing along beautifully, but but for some reason, Mark decided he was just going to, play B-flat or something. That's actually a joke from before the service. But uh, that he was actually going to play something wrong. No question we'd all be looking at him, right? But is just getting attention the purpose? No, it's something more. Our lives are to be for something more than, than just attracting attention to ourselves. They're, they're for bringing glory to God and being a blessing to each other. So, so in the context of of Pisa or maybe enough about the Tower of Pisa, let's talk about you. How straight is the Tower of your life? If we were to put it up there, is it is it pretty rock-solid or are you a little tippy right now? We're at the end of Luke chapter 6. And this is the end of the, the third chapter we've been slow in Luke that we've been slow walking our way through. We actually started talking out of the book of Luke all the way back in April of last year. So we've been off and on, looking at different passages. We started in about the middle of chapter 4, and then we went completely through 5. And now today, the 19th sermon, it's hard to believe it's that many already, to come out of Luke 4, 5, and 6. With this, we reach the end of Luke chapter 6. So let me give you a little idea of what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. The next two weeks, we're going to begin focusing on the vision statement that the elders produced that was adopted at our business meeting as a working document uh, for our church. We're going to begin to to look at the wording of that and how it's laid out and what the meaning of that is. So we're going to spend the next couple weeks on that. And then February 24, you want to make sure you're here that day because Dina King will be back and she will be speaking that day. And we always appreciate her very much then as we get into March then we will focus on the elements of the mission that flow out of that vision so so for the rest of this month after today and into March that's what we will be focused on we may come back to Luke later on starting chapter 7 and moving on but this is a good natural break uh, because this particular section of Luke chapter 6 is Luke's shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount. Now he's got some other material of the Sermon on the Mount in another place, but he has a shortened version that runs between Luke chapter 6, verse 17, all the way to verse 49. And in that, he he captures many of the things you would find if you read Matthew 5 through 7. Now, obviously, three chapters in Matthew 5 through 7 is gonna have a lot more content than just this section in Luke but but we know that this is basically the same reality for two reasons one the way it's introduced well three really one the way it's introduced Two, the content and three the way it ends so in Matthew 5 we have this introduction Matthew 5 verse 1 seeing the crowds Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying and then he launches into the Beatitudes and you've read that before And we'll spend some time on that another day. But you compare that to what we find in Luke chapter 6. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, we hear this. It's kind of ironic because in in Matthew 5, it starts with, he goes up on the mountain. But in Luke 6, verse 17, it says, and Jesus came down with them. So if you read what's right before that, Jesus has just gone up on the mountain. And he has chosen 12 to be apostles you remember we talked about this there's a difference between apostles which were 12 chosen for a specific purpose and disciples which were a much bigger group and we are all among the disciples anyway he came down with them the apostles and stood on a level place and a great crowd of his disciples thats everybody else and a great multitude of people that's curious people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him and healed them. And now verse 20 and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said and then he launches into a shortened version of the Beatitudes. So it's described a little differently but I believe we're talking about the same event here today though what we want to focus on is the ending of what Jesus had to say as it's recorded in Luke 6 now a very similar thing is said in Matthew chapter 7 but we're not going to deal with that today that's not relevant to what we're going to do We're going to look at the ending of Jesus' comments in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, and here's what we find. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, speaking of his words, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So the message here and the message today is very simple. Don't end up being a leaning tower of Pisa. Don't just hear the words of Jesus. Hear the words of Jesus and do them. But let's not end just yet. Let's take a few minutes at least to reflect for this is very easy to say but it takes a lifetime of intentionality to actually achieve and it's worth reflecting on why we want to achieve this why we want to build the house with the foundation and not just throw something together probably the first issue we ought to address is this is the question is this about salvation well in a way yes but if you're asking is this how I'm saved then I have to say no you don't get saved by legalistically attempting to do everything Jesus said to do that's not how it works rather one is saved and becomes a part of the kingdom of God in a different way and I'm gonna tell you a couple places where we have an example of how that happens the first is from Acts chapter 2 and this is Peter speaking to the people on the day of Pentecost so the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them they've spoken in the languages of the people that are there and there is a great shock at this Peter gets up and gives a long presentation about what's taken place and what they did with Jesus and you get to the end of that and it says and they were cut to the heart And they asked him, what must we do? And here's Peter's reply. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now that term, all who are far off, means two things. One, it means people who don't live close to Jerusalem. But the second thing it means is people who are far off down through time, through the generations. And we know this because he says it's for you, it's for your children, and for those far off, for the generations to come. So that means you. So these words are for you. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, And you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. And it's for all of us. But let me give you another example here. This is uh, Paul to the jailer in Philippi. So this is Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 30. Then the jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So it's pretty clear, right? And they said, this is Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They taught him about Jesus so that he could believe. They told them what Jesus had said so they can do it. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And then what happened? And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So the dynamics of getting saved are pretty clear. Confess your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. And in these stories, and now too, get baptized as a, as a testimony to your confession, this is, this is how it happens. But here's the thing. Maybe you notice this if you've been baptized. Your life doesn't end when you confess and are baptized. Because we're still here, right? We're still living. Life is going on. So what's supposed to be happening now? when you confess your sins and are baptized and believe in the Lord Jesus you become a part of something more you become a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is the place where Jesus is Lord now Lord is a weird term for us in this country in this generation what do we mean when we call Jesus Lord. Well, too often I fear we actually don't mean much by it at all. It's just kind of a nickname to us because we are primarily blessed, but I would also say secondarily cursed, for every blessing has that other side to it sometimes. We are primarily blessed to live in an egalitarian time where unfortunately respect is rarely automatic and almost certainly not connected with a title or an appellation the word Lord doesn't mean much to us but in the case of Jesus the title Lord needs to matter when we confess our sins and put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior it means two things Number one, Savior means our sins are forgiven because He is our Savior. But number two, He is also our Lord. So what does Lord mean in the context of Jesus? It means this. He is the one to whom we have granted the right to tell us how we should live now that we have become citizens of His kingdom so why would we ever want to do that well actually that's the problem we tend to all want to be lord of our own lives and some of us might also like to be lord of certain other people's lives that are around us to accept jesus as lord carries with it the default expectation that as our lord we will both listen to what he says and make an attempt to do what he says not in order to be saved but rather because we find salvation in him and because we find salvation in him we also believe in him we will find in his words the answer to the question how should I live my life because we can trust him to save us we can also trust him to show us the best way to live but this can be hard sometimes because sometimes what Jesus has said is hard for us to understand or make sense of in our current lives or with our current understanding and this then is where faith comes in not only for us But this has been true the whole way, all the way back to the first disciples of Jesus. John chapter 6 tells the story of a time when Jesus badly stressed his disciples with his words. But he did it for a very important reason, which we don't have time to unpack today. But let me show you the time I'm talking about. John chapter 6, verse 66. You see, Jesus has been talking to them, and he just said some things that were hard. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And many of the people were not ready to understand what he meant. And this is a place where we're advantaged. Because we come to this with the knowledge of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we come to this with the communion service, which illustrates what this means. We need to receive the fullness of Jesus into our lives in the same way we would receive food. But many people at the time were not ready for this. So verse 66 of John chapter 6. After this, many of his disciples, again, that's the large group, not the apostles many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's interesting and important to notice here that Peter doesn't say no no problem we understand what you say exactly he doesn't say that at all they were all offended even the 12 but the 12 had come to know Jesus well enough to believe in him and therefore what he has said even if I don't get it now I need to believe and work with it until I do when you have truly believed And come to know that Jesus is, in fact, the Holy One of God, the one sent from heaven, born as a baby, grew up faithful to God's call, lived and died for your sins, and rose again. When you come to understand this, that He is the Holy One of God, and that He has come, and that what He has come to do for us. And teach us we cannot receive from any other source. On the day you get that, you yourself will understand the words, to whom else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. So maybe this is a point worth reflecting on. Where are you in your life? Do you believe that it is through Jesus that you have eternal life and it is through the teaching of Jesus that you are shown the right way to live if you have reached that point then he is your Lord if you have not reached that point then maybe you've not been fully converted in your heart but when you have reached that point then you will realize That only in Jesus do we have the answers that truly matter. But here's the problem. The answers that Jesus has for us, how we can best find happiness and fulfillment and purpose and meaning in our lives can only help us if we do two things. Number one, we have to listen to them. And number two, we have to do them that's the only way the words of Jesus can help you you have to hear them and you have to do them and thus the question of Jesus Luke chapter 6 verse 46 why do you call me Lord Lord and not do what I tell you yeah good question why do I do that Because you know what happens in my life when I do that? Well, we got a picture. It's called Pisa. That's me. Almost. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. That's the person who hears the words of Jesus and does them. But the one who hears... Okay, this is a very important point. This is not the story of the person out there who's never heard of Jesus. This is the story of the person who has heard of Jesus, who has heard his words. But the one who hears and does not do What he says is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. All right. So what has Jesus told us? If it's so important for us to do this, what has Jesus told us? Well, there's some there's some big sweeping stuff. Some of it quoting Old Testament love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. um, this commandment I give you love one another these are these are sweeping things but he's also told us some specifics and in fact he's told us some specifics in this chapter 6 and we have spent quite a few weeks reflecting on them. maybe you remember some of these blessed are the poor but woe to the rich and we love that because we want to be the poor but if we're honest with ourselves we probably are the rich and that's problematic love your enemies and do good to those who hate you that's something else Jesus has said and we reflected on that give to everyone who asks boy I don't like that one give expecting nothing in return awaiting the reward that only God can give talked about that one we spent some time on this one judge not that you be not judged condemn not that you be not condemned for what measure you use it will be measured to you you want to be a tough one? Okay, expect to be treated tough. And forgive like your Heavenly Father. Now, another one, don't just follow any teacher or you'll fall into a pit. It's the blind leading the blind. Maybe you remember that week. There was where Jesus said, avoid hypocrisy. That was the whole one with the illustration, don't try to take a speck out of your brother's eye when you got a log in your own eye. These are the words of Jesus. This is what we are supposed to live by. This is how we build a solid house. Last Sabbath, fill yourself with good so that you will produce good fruit. And lastly, at least for Luke chapter 6, the words of Jesus, don't call Jesus Lord if you have no intention of doing what he says. Maybe that's the hypocrisy piece again. So I want to invite the band back up. We're going to sing some songs here in a moment. But as they're coming up, just some last reflections here. The house standing up is not just about good behaviors and blessings. See, we can get caught in kind of a legalistic mentality here. Okay, this building a solid house is all about doing everything right. Well, okay, yeah, but that's not really the bigger point here. Yes, good to do everything right, but, but here's the bigger point. The doing all of those things that Jesus said is so that you can stand when the flood comes. Alicia and I have had a flood or two in our lives. And I'm happy to say our house of faith stood firm in the flood. A few weeks back, Alicia told you about the time when our son Nathan had his heart event in the middle of the night. And when I think about that event, I think about myself in the room with him that night, my child on the floor, not breathing on his own, no discernible heartbeat, giving him CPR, wondering if it's a good idea. You ever done that? should I just let him go? or should I try to save him and risk him having a body that lives and a mind that's gone? that is not a fun moment but because the house was built well the Lord Jesus was with me in the moment guiding me as the flood waters rose encouraging me, telling me in the moment just do what you can. Just do what you can. Don't be afraid. Just do what you can. See, that's what happens when the house is built. That's the flood. That's what this gives you. And when Alicia was diagnosed with cancer, the Lord Jesus was near, sustaining me, but even more sustaining her. As we navigated that painful, disorienting, life-altering journey, the flood came, but our house stood. And Jesus was there when we as parents had no idea what we ought to do. Can I get a witness on that? Anybody raising kids? No idea what we ought to do next. Yeah. Jesus was there. The house stood. And He is still with us in our marriage, which is always a challenging prospect even when you're both perfect like Alicia and I. When we live according to His Word, in Scripture and in our hearts and in our minds, we live the best life we can live and our tower stays straight. When we don't, well, here you go. Picture again you got Pisa, right the leaning tower we come as we are to Jesus every day he receives us even when our house gets smashed and he shows us how to rebuild it better next time but if we will call him Lord and do what he says next time maybe our house won't get smashed and we will be building structures that will last to eternity with Jesus I can tell you it's true what Jesus teaches is the best way to live so don't just call him Lord call him Lord Go do what he says.